This teaching comes to you from the team at St. Mark's, Darling Point, Sydney. We hope that it blesses you. Good morning, everyone. Please be seated and let's pray. <clears throat> Give us grace, O Lord, not only to hear your word with our ears, but also to receive it into our hearts and to show it forth in our lives for the glory of your great name. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It's lovely to be here speaking today um, on this wonderful passage, Psalm 23. Um, I, I don't know whether you, how you spent your night last night, um, but a lot of people were watching the television one way or another, and many were watching the coronation of King Charles III. Um, today is the morning after the coronation of the King of England and by law, the King of Australia. Now that may change, but that's how it is today. And so that means that at the moment, the sovereign of Australia has committed his life to our service. And he did it in the same manner that Jesus Christ came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for the sins of the world, as the Gospel of Mark tells us. And also, as was said in the coronation service, by King Charles last night. And it means that we witnessed and we participated in as Commonwealth citizens a profoundly Christian ceremony. Um, frankly, if, if you have had no exposure to the Christian faith, I really don't know what you would make of the service that was on television last night. Very hard to work out what was going on if you hadn't had a chance to understand what Christianity is all about. Because the shape of the coronation liturgy matches the shape of the story of God's relationship with Israel, as the Bible tells us. His ancient anointing of rulers like King David and King Solomon, and then his revelation to the world that the true king is Jesus, that humble carpenter born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, and eventually crucified and risen from the grave as the king of kings, the Lord of lords. That's actually what shaped the coronation of the King of England last night. Such a ceremony won't happen in China. It won't happen in Indonesia. It won't happen in Saudi Arabia. It could only happen in a country that was profoundly influenced in its history by the Christian faith, influenced to the point where its actual institutions are shaped by the Christian faith, by the words of scripture. In the case of England, this is true in the extreme. The author of Les Miserables, Victor Hugo, once wrote that England has two books, the Bible and Shakespeare. England gave us Shakespeare, but the Bible gave us England, he says. Such is the depth it has in the history of the nation. And to a lesser extent, but still a significant extent, the Bible gave us Australia. Uh, there are a lot of books that have been written recently about with that sort of emphasis of the way that the Christian teachings have shaped Western nations very deeply. Believing Christianity to be true and that Jesus really is the King of Kings, raised from the dead, our saviour, and will return as our judge and ruler, these things are not an abstract philosophy that some people adhere to in, in their minds. They're actually things that shape your history and your culture or your society and your nation. And they determine how you live as an individual or as a family or as a community, uh, even as a nation. One of my favourite parts of the service last night, because we, we did watch that service, although we occasionally flicked over the rugby league, um, 
one of my favourite parts was the procession of the Bible that St Augustine had brought from Rome to Canterbury, a, a gift from my namesake, Pope Gregory the Great, in 597. The Bible came from Rome to Canterbury to bring the gospel to England, which was an Anglo-Saxon pagan country at the time. And Augustine brought that in. That's why the Archbishop was the Archbishop of Canterbury, because that was the seat of Christianity in England, where the point at which the gospel was heard in that land, probably for the first time. I just love the fact that that Bible was there in the procession, connecting us back in history to that time when the word, the same word was delivered to them as was delivered to the king yesterday and to us here in 2023. The word of God, that message of the gospel endures over centuries and over countries and across royal reigns and kingdoms, the word of God endured. And so it seems to me a wonderful thing then that these great moments of public importance thanks to the Bible, that the humble nature of being a human creature, even a king, is made very plain. The humble nature of being a human being, even a king, is the emphasis of that service last night. The king, with all of his wealth, all of his privilege, is reminded frequently that he is a servant, that his power is limited, and that he only has it because there is a Lord above him. And so it was for King David, who records for us his own journey in Psalm 23, that very famous passage of scripture that was just read for us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I feel the need to say it in the King James Version, to be honest. Um, that's, that's how I sort of know it, but the way it rolls out is um, poetically more satisfying. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. So much of the service last night drew on this notion of a king who protects his people, who must serve his people in that way. And so our psalm today, Psalm 23, played a small role in that service because the king at one point was presented with a rod and the scepter, which are drawn from this very passage, the rod and the staff of the shepherd, are represented there symbolically in the, the uh, gifts that are given to the king so that he might do his role. And that's because the rod was used by the shepherd to count the sheep. They would pass under the rod and he would count how many were in his flock. And the staff, well, it had other uses. It was for whacking any kind of beast that would come near the sheep or pulling them back into line or, you know, it was a pretty kind of active tool he had there to, to do his job as a shepherd. Um, but because of that work of those two uh, now symbolic elements, the sheep had the comfort of being checked on and of being protected. But he, King David, is also a king that needs protection, just like the sheep. In fact, in those four verses, he is a sheep. Like the king of Israel, at this point in his songwriting, is identifying not with the shepherd, but with the sheep. He's a sheep. He needs guidance. He needs comfort. He needs nurture. He needs food. He needs reassurance of his value. And he needs love. David's a king, but he needs a capital K king because he's just a human being. He's a sheep who needs a shepherd. 
He knew a lot about it because, as you'll recall, David himself was a shepherd as a boy. Uh, being the youngest in the family, he was given the job of looking after the sheep in the rocky terrain outside Bethlehem. And it's actually a terrible job to give the youngest of the family because it's pretty dangerous out there in the fields trying to stop the wolves getting to your sheep. And, OK, you've got your staff and so forth, but you're a boy trying to protect these sheep. So he knew what the task was the shepherd had to do. It was quite a challenging task, which is why he had those weapons, the staff and... As you know, famously, David had a slingshot, which he used to fling himself to fame when he defeated the uh, Philistine warrior, Goliath. So that, that boy, that shepherd boy, learnt to protect others, to count them, to notice them, enjoy them as they gathered to graze and meander and sleep in the fields, and always be ready to serve them as the need arose. And now, as king, David is responsible for his people in the same way he was responsible for the sheep. But his comfort comes from realising that he's still a sheep himself, with a greater shepherd providing the same peace and tranquility and safety for him. Now that scene of peace and tranquility there in those first four verses has kind of been part of generating a whole genre of uh, the arts really, known as pastoral, pastoral arts. If you think of pastoral painting, it uh, depicts peaceful scenes of landscape, sort of still life, um, depicting that everything's okay, everything's in its place here. Uh, there's no violence, no conflict, no confrontation, everyone's at peace. The rolling fields, the swaying flowers, the grazing sheep, it, they all communicate this sense of contentment when you look at those kinds of paintings. And that's what pastoral stands for, because that word pastor, in case you don't know it, is the Latin word for shepherd. Uh, it's, it's why we call our ministers pastors. They are shepherds of the flock. That's us. They are the ones who provide the means of peace by caring for the flock, even if they need to protect us with some strength. I love that image of Christian care. I've always loved it because as a boy, I um, got my first Bible from my parents when I was seven. Um, and as well as expecting me to read it, I, I love the fact that they chose a Bible, with, you probably can't see it, but with a picture of Jesus as the Good Shepherd on the cover. And as a seven-year-old boy, I, I really liked this picture because Jesus was out in the rough. He was out marching through the rocky terrain. He's got his sandals on, his robe. He's, he's got a sack. He's kind of having to fend for himself. and look. But he's got a sheep in his arms and he's cuddling the sheep. And that image of care is such a wonderful summary of who Jesus is to us that he is this shepherd who will do anything to look after the sheep, who he loves and he cuddles and he cares for. And that gentleness um, combined with strength was such a, a wonderful image for a boy to get of who God is and who Jesus is. And I'm very grateful that that was the Bible given to me as a child so that, that I would know that, that. That's the way a powerful person should be. Strong, protecting but caring and loving and gentle at the same time. Well, that image of God is applied to Jesus throughout the New Testament, as we heard in Ben's reading for us today from John 10. Jesus often identifies himself that way. I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. My sheep hear my voice. They know me. They'll never perish. No one will snatch them from my hand, he says. And, and that's just a wonderful way of thinking of what Jesus is doing for us. In, in, uh, as our Lord and Saviour. 
And what does it look like then to be cared for and loved by someone like that? Well, the rest of the psalm tells us, the next two verses. See, David's a sheep up to the end of verse 4. And then at verse 5, poetically, the psalm changes. He's no longer a sheep. He becomes a dinner guest. Um, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So now we have David as the welcomed dinner guest and the Lord himself as the host, no longer shepherd, but host of this dinner. If it isn't too much of a stretch, you can still imagine David as like a sheep turning up into the family. You know how we do treat our pets a little bit too kindly at times and the dog's sitting on the bed and uh, eating on the kitchen floor. I'm seeing some agreeing smiles here. And the cat's lying next to you, you know, gratefully on the bed. Actually, no, the cat is not grateful on the bed. The dog is always grateful, but the cats, they don't, they don't care at all. The dog is gratefully there lying, as part of the family. Um, you know, that's, that's the way that sheep are cared for in the family of the Lord, the way we tend to those creatures that depend on us. And this sermon today is part of a series about the importance of meals in the Bible. And here we have a, a special meal. It's a grand occasion. It's the, the Lord has welcomed in this guest, this, this mere sheep, um, to share a kind of royal banquet meal. The Lord has prepared the meal himself, such as the intimacy of the, the relationship. More than that, he's welcomed in, David, with the anointing that you give to someone who is special. This anointing, like a kingly anointing. If you saw the coronation last night, there was an anointing of the king. That's what happens to the dinner guest here, anointed as if they were a royal. And the the drinks overflow, it's plentiful, it's abundant hospitality that's offered. Perhaps the most surprising line in the psalm, I think, is in verse 5 there, where it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. An odd expression, in the presence of my enemies. What, what could that mean? Well, we aren't given a lot of background in the psalm to help us sort this out. I mean, is it that David, the, this sheep slash king slash dinner guest, is enjoying the riches of abundance while his conquered enemies have to look on with jealousy and with resignation to their defeat? Maybe, maybe, and it's often read that way. After all, the psalm was written at a time when Israel was particularly prosperous and settled and David had sort of conquered his enemies and he had every reason to feel that he'd been blessed by God amidst all of that uh, confrontation. Or is it that even when his enemies surround him, like the wolves might surround the sheep in the wilderness of Bethlehem that he knew so much about, is it that the Lord still protects him then when his enemies are pressing in on him not only protects him, but actually nurtures him and feeds him and gives him comfort when his enemies are pressing in on him. Maybe. But another possibility is that the enemies here are actually getting a taste, a look, at what it's like to follow God and to be loved by God and to be blessed by God. That David there, in the midst of his enemies, is actually showing them what a great and generous Lord he has that they too might taste and see that the Lord is good, that they might see the great benefits and great um, abundance that the Lord has showered upon his, his sheep and want it for themselves. Perhaps think about what it would take 
to be welcomed in like David was, specially honoured, anointed and welcomed into the house of the Lord. Well, this interpretation of the psalm would sit well with us as Christians who are called by God, as the epistle of Peter tells us, to live such good lives among the pagans, quoting from the epistle of Peter here, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. See how our God provides for us. This could be yours as well. Now, this is a, a wonderful message to be able to offer the world. And we should note as well that once you're in the house of the Lord, you're in permanently. You'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Permanent membership. David revels. I think you can feel the sense of revel and delight in the confidence and assurance we have that goodness and mercy will follow us all the days of our lives and we will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the confidence you have when the Lord is your shepherd. We want for nothing permanently. Now, if you're a Christian here today, I think you can get a bit blasé about this. I've been hearing it since I was seven. Um, you can forget what it's like to live without a shepherd. You can forget that it wasn't always pastoral comfort and protection and assurance. Many of you will know this well. And I thought this was captured well by one theologian I stumbled across, called David Powlison, who wrote a poem that he called the Anti-Psalm 23. I'll just read you a little bit of his poem where he, he tries to imagine what it's like not to have this kind of shepherd that cares and loves for you in the midst of your enemies. I'm on my own. No one looks out for me or protects me. I experience a continual sense of need. Nothing's quite right. I'm always restless. I'm easily frustrated and often disappointed. It's a jungle. I feel overwhelmed. It's a desert. I feel thirsty. I stumble down some dark paths. I'm haunted by emptiness and futility, shadows of death. I fear the big hurt and the final loss. I really can't trust anyone. No one has my back. No one's really for me except me. And I'm so much all about me, sometimes it's sickening. I belong to no one except myself. My cup is never quite full enough. I'm left empty. Disappointment follows me all the days of my life. Will I just be obliterated into nothingness? It's a pretty potent picture of the flip side, isn't it? The flip side of faith. The flip side of having a Lord who you believe provides for you. If that sounds like you, I'm glad you're here to hear the message of the scriptures, that it can be different, that there is a God out there who cares, that there is a Lord who shepherds his flock. I'm glad you're here to listen, to hear what God is like and perhaps consider it yourselves. Thanks to God for revealing to King David and then through, to us through Jesus Christ that this is not what life needs to be like, that we do have a Lord who cares for us, who will protect us, who wants to welcome us into his house forever if we'll but turn to him. And so, to wrap it up, if we want a shepherd like that, the message is clear, we have to be like sheep. And sheep have at least three characteristics. Sheep are followers. They're not strays. They, they follow away that is given to them. They stick to a path. They look for a leader's direction. You need to know the way of Jesus, which is why we read the scriptures, to discern and understand the way of the Lord, how we should live, rather than make up our own minds on the direction we should take. 
Secondly, sheep are vulnerable. In fact, some would even say stupid. And I uh, met someone at 8am who owned a sheep farm and said, yes, sheep are stupid and they need a lot of looking after. But that's us. We have to recognise how likely it is that we will lose the plot, that we will wander from the path, that we are vulnerable and, and frail as human beings, even those of us who become kings. And we need a shepherd to guide us down the right paths. And again, this is precisely what God has given us in his word and his spirit. Your word is a lamp unto my feet, says another psalm. God will provide and protect us in those ways. And finally, sheep run together. They're herd animals. They don't get anywhere on their own. They just get lost. And so we have to stick together as Christians to succeed. And this is why church is so important. Because meeting each other, praying together, bearing each other's burdens, in that we acknowledge our vulnerability and we try as best we can to lift each other up week by week. Do this and the shepherd not only keeps you safe, leads you to peaceful waters and plentiful resources, he also leads you on the adventure of life through the rocky terrain and the mountains and all the things that might come your way as you're heading towards the promised land of the kingdom of God. Briefly back to the coronation to conclude then. I guess we, we hope for a lot from King Charles III. Um, he has a good record on caring for the environment. Uh, he's far from perfect. Who is? King David was not, neither are we. But we can rest easily knowing that we do have a perfect king in Jesus, that he demonstrated his servant nature, that he came not to be served but to serve in dying for us. And he was the ultimate shepherd, going to death to the place of the dead and returning in power to shepherd us through this life and the next. If that's something you need to understand better, please do look into it. Uh, it's outlined beautifully at the end of the book of Hebrews, which is where I'll conclude for you this morning. Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at www.stmarksdp.org to subscribe to our new episodes, browse more resources and find more information about the community of St Mark's.